every time we head into a new year, it's kind of a good opportunity to reflect on the past year and on the things that you're looking forward to about 2024, and I hope there are many things that you are. Um, and uh, I wanted to, uh, well, well, today is, is sort of, it's sort of, a, it's sort of a standalone message. We often preach in sermon series. Well, the, you're hearing a fantastic uh, message next week about the Lord's Prayer, then a few Christian, a uh, couple weeks on some, some kind of foundational Christian questions. Then we'll do a longer series through some of the parables of the kingdom of God in the book of Luke. And I'm looking forward to all of that. But for uh, just one Sunday, I, I wanted to actually just share a bit of my heart and of um, some things that I've been thinking about and some things that I've been working toward. Um, that whether you know it or not, you're actually kind of guinea pigs with um, part of. I, I'm, I'm, I finished the first semester of a, of a doctorate in what's called semiotics, church, and culture. Whoa, I don't know. What's se semi-tractor trailer? What's the deal? Okay, well, so semiotics is the study of signs, symbols, and metaphors. And, um, and you think, well, what does that have to do with Christian ministry? Well, for those of you who were here last week, and we looked at the, the Christmas story, and actually all of the times we've been looking at this, I mean, I'm, one of the things that they've been teaching me to do, and it's been really fun, I'm studying under uh, Dr. Len Sweet, he's kind of a world um, expert in this, uh, is you start looking at how do, how do symbols and images resonate throughout the scriptures, so, like last week, we looked at this issue of, of shepherds and lambs. Like, what, what do shepherds do? How do lambs function in the Bible? And what does that mean in terms of how we understand the Christmas story? So, you're already sort of hearing me trying to learn as we go, and I hope we can be on this learning journey together with semiotics. And I hope you're enjoying it, and uh, thanks for the, the feedback, uh, both the positive and the negative. It's all really, really helpful, because um, I just want to be a really good student of the Word. And um, I'm finding that this study is allowing some of the things that I was trained in all those years ago in terms of, you know, Greek word study and Hebrew word study and, and um, you know, the... You know, the parallel passages and all the things that you learn when you're in seminary and actually adding some new layers on top of that and giving some new tools in the toolkit for, for um, trying to hopefully better understand this timeless treasure that we have in the Word of God. So thanks for being on that journey with me. The other part of that, uh, the, this doctoral program is working on a dissertation where for three years, getting to do a really deep dive into a topic that I think is vitally important. And so for just one Sunday, uh, I wanted to talk to you about what I'm studying and what I'm looking at. Because I actually believe, and this is why, I'm, uh, why this, this course of study has been so life-giving for me, is I actually believe this is the most pressing issue that the, at least the North American church faces today. To illustrate, um, let me show you a picture. Of, this is a picture from 23 years ago. Uh, I've, that's, that's me, well, you can see, younger me, there you go. And, and that little bundle of joy on Anita's lap is our daughter, Lauren. She's about two months old at this point. I've been serving in youth ministry at Wiley Heights Covenant Church in Yakima, Washington. If there's anyone on the live stream from Yakima, 
please check out Wiley Heights. It is a wonderful, wonderful church. Um, they were, yeah, so I was there in the youth and music ministry capacity for seven years. They really launched me in ministry, helped me figure out my pastoral identity. I couldn't imagine a better first call. And one of the cool things about, you know, investing in kids over the years, and that was a, a picture of our middle school group and some of the leaders about a week before. Uh, it was actually part of a going away present as I was heading out from there to move to Chicago to do a Master's of Divinity degree. Is um, you, you just get to see what happens to kids over the years. So like with the you kids you saw in, those, in that photo back then, um, back when I felt like I was a kid too, but I mean, I've been able to stay in touch with many of them over the years. I've done dozens of weddings from that group and seen how some of them have really gone on to thrive in their faith and others not so much. And actually over the years, I've had the privilege of um, I mean, preaching in various settings and forms to literally thousands of teenagers. I've had the privilege of leading several hundred uh, teenagers to Christ and then see what happens over time. And over the last 10 years, I've noticed that something is shifting. And um, there, are some, there are some trends for how the how faith is getting passed on from one generation to the next that are different now than when I started in ministry and when I was growing up. And so why don't you do a bit of a deep dive into that? Um, before we talk about the, some of the, the, the things I've been learning and some of the things I think that are really changing in terms of intergenerational ministry, I want us to remember that our God is an intergenerational God. Like even back in this foundational passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6. So the law is being given to Moses. Moses is, is describing the law that he has received from God to the Israelites. And he introduces them to this prayer that they would be praying twice a day. We, we actually did a series on it a few months ago called the Shema. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Let's, let's uh, take a look at that together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This, that's his core prayer. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Then we get to verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, this, this core idea of loving God, you should, you should just immerse yourself in it. Like, write it everywhere. In every format you can find, wear it. Make it decorations in your house. Just surround yourself in it. It is vitally important. Impress them on your children. Or you think of all the times in the scriptures where God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, I was your grandfather's God, I was your father's God, and I'm your God. That faith is intended to be passed down from generation 
to generation. And if there's one thing I know about, about you know, this crew here, us, is you care about this. I know that you care about this. We are and have been from the very beginning of our founding an intentionally intergenerational church. It is, it has affected every aspect of our ministry from how, like what, the songs that we sing to the volume we play it at, to who's on the worship team, to where, where you know, who are the visible leaders. It has shaped every aspect of faith for us. We are intentionally intergenerational. And... Over the last 10 years especially, like I said, something is changing. And though it has been a, a pattern for a very long time, that kind of in those later teen, early 20s, the, the adol late adolescent years, there's kind of been this pattern of, of, you know, kids are going on this Young adults are going on this, on this absolutely normal, healthy journey of self-discovery. Like, what do I believe? And why do I believe it? And so everybody needs to kind of find their own course. They need to find their own faith. And they need to, to distance themselves, at least temporarily, from their parents' faith and their parents' beliefs so they can figure out what they believe for themselves. So the, uh, the Amish call it the rumspringer. You know, you kind of go on this little journey. You figure stuff out. You probably sin a little more. And, you, you know, but then you go, oh, that's right. And you, and you go back to your foundations. And that has been the pattern for a long time. And that pattern is shifting. Um, the organization 10 by 10, which I would commend to you, by the way. It's, it's fairly new. Um, it's out of the, uh, the, the Fuller Institute of Youth Ministry in California. Um, they came, I, I get this, this fairly chilling statistic from them. In the North American church, an estimated one million Gen Z students leave the faith every year. In other words, in terms of the, of the, the goal of passing down faith from one generation to the next, we, we're failing. And um, like any, any creature that fails to reproduce itself is an endangered species. And that right now, unfortunately, is, is a descriptor of the North American church. We're having a harder time passing down a robust faith to the next generation. So, um, that's, that's been my course of study. So, I'm, I'm only a few months into it, so this is just little disclaimers. Um, hopefully, over the next three years, I'm going to be learning quite a number of things that might even correct or revise some of what I'm about to say over the next few minutes um, because I'm on a learning journey and, I, and I'm just, just on a search for truth in this area. But I really believe it is the most important issue facing the church today. And I also said, I know many of you well enough to know this is also the thing you probably care about more than anything else. Like, do you want your kids to know Jesus? Do you want your grandchildren to know Jesus? Do you want your great-grandchildren to know? I can't even, I can't talk about that without tearing up. Like, if, if that ain't happening, nothing else matters. So, um, uh, what I've been doing is I've been uh, doing interviews with a number of industry 
experts, been reading a, a gob of books. Uh, I'll be at least 30 to 50 books in by the time I'm done. And I've been interviewing young adults. And I've had the privilege of interviewing quite a few. And um, I've been blown away, actually, by the incredible honesty and candor that I've been hearing. And, and thank you, um, for those, of, those of you that have set me up with your kids, your grandkids. And, you know, we've gone on a Zoom call together or a phone call or I've gone on a coffee date. And, and they, I've just been able to hear their story. Um, so here's some of the things that the experts are telling us that have shifted over the past few years that are affecting the next generation. Um, one of the biggest is technology. If, if you were born prior to 1995, then um, cell phones, the internet, it's a new thing for you. You, you actually remember a time before the internet. Right. And that means that our relationship with technology, because that's me, I'm, 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 a, I'm a proud 72, um, is our relationship with technology is a little bit different. Is, is we see the world around us as the real world and the screens in front of us as an augmentation to the real world. Like a television, you know, it's, it's something, it's entertainment, it's a great way to connect with grandkids, it's a great way to connect with friends, great way to share those little kitten photos, but it's kind of, it's, it's not reality, it's a, it's a tool that we use to communicate, it's extra, it's an augmentation to what we understand as reality. If you were raised on screens, which describes many, not all, but many, who were born after uh, 1995. And actually, the year 2012 is incredibly influential in terms of youth culture. Our, um, the uh, mental health issues increased greatly after 2012. The depression rates, the suicide rates, all of those things increased greatly after 2012. Do you know what was introduced in 2012? The iPhone. The iPhone. And so we have, you know, so we have a generation that has been raised on and with screens. And here's why that's important. Now, um, let me see your eyes. Who here can remember being in seventh grade? Some of you can't remember being in seventh grade? Okay, some of, a few of you are looking forward to seventh grade. I'm not actually, probably nobody in the room, so I'm going to talk really bluntly. So in seventh grade, see, I remember seventh grade, and um, in seventh grade, there's these, there's these kids in the, there's always a kid in the class who is a, who's like, they're cooler than you. So for, as a guy, um, I remember Johnny. And Johnny, by the way, and it, it, that's his real name too. He sometimes watches the live stream. So yeah, I'm talking about you. Um, the, uh, See, he, he, was, he was a little more physically developed. You know, he had some muscles. He had his hair figured out. Like, he, he had good hair. And the girls liked him. He was confident. He was athletic. He was talented. And when I think, when, you know, in seventh grade, you're just trying to figure yourself out. 
Like identity, belonging, purpose. Who am I? Who are my people? And why am I here? And, and the truth is you don't know. Like seventh grade, eighth grade is horrible. Do you remember this? I, like when our girls were going through seventh grade, I remember just, just looking them in the eye and saying, honey, survive this. <laughs> like because I promise you, if you can just make it through this, it will get better. It will get better. And thankfully it did. I, I would not go back to seventh grade or eighth grade. Maybe it was seventh grade or maybe eighth grade or ninth. I wouldn't go back for all the money in the world. Like that, those were hard years. Hard years. And here's why they, I mean, because you're trying to figure yourself out. You don't really know who you are. And there's Johnny, and he's got it all figured out. He's got the muscles, he's got the hair, he's got the girls. I, like, he was good at soccer, he's good at music. I could never match up to Johnny. And here's the thing. All of us can probably relate to those, like, feeling inadequate. Or can you? Unless you're Johnny. But... but you can relate to feeling inadequate. And our, our standard of comparison, when I think back in grade seven, it was about 30 kids. There were about 30 kids in my seventh grade class. Now, maybe there, there were more in your seventh grade class. Maybe you were in a larger school. Maybe there was 100 or, or 200. But there's always a Johnny. Or if you're a girl, there's an always, and I'm going to use this name, and this is not referring to anyone, okay? Like, let's just call her Amanda. Like, so she kind of develops sooner than everybody else. And she's got the curves going on. And she's got the hair figured out. And all the boys like her. And you just, you just feel inadequate next to Amanda. Johnny and Amanda, they're amazing. And I feel just average or less than average. Right? So, but that's in a comparison group of about 50, 30 in my case, 30, 50, maybe 100. And I, and I felt inadequate. And in, for the world of our teenagers right now, their, their, the, 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 um, the awareness of peer group is not 50, it's not 100, it's thousands because, because of this portal to a larger world. And so when you find yourself on Instagram or on Pinterest even, you're not just comparing yourself to Johnny anymore. Every person on that screen is amazing. Now, I don't care that they've been airbrushed. It, that's the world that feels real. And that's who I'm comparing myself to. And if I felt inadequate standing next to Johnny, or ladies, if you felt inadequate standing next to Amanda, just multiply that by a hundred or a thousand. And that's what our teens right now are going through. It is a really big world. And there is massive awareness 
And, and so this same incredible technology that allows us to connect all across countries, I mean, even in my course, I'm like, I was in a class a few weeks back, and, and so there's somebody in, in Iowa, there's somebody in Nashville, there's, my, and my teacher was teaching from Korea. I mean, we're on Zoom together, crazy. But that same technology, when you're an adolescent, and you're trying to figure out who you are. And this is in, in, the, in the digital world, sometimes it's referred to as somebody who is a digital native. A digital native. In other words, you're so used to technology. And, and by the way, uh, any young adults, if, if I'm wrong on some of this, please correct me because I'm trying to learn here. But, but what I do hope, if, you're, if you were born earlier than 1995 and you're thinking about the children and the grandchildren and the teenagers in your life understand that their world their world it, it, there are some very distinctive challenges that they're facing it is not surprising to me that we're having greater incidences of like mental health challenges and eating disorders and depression rates because everyone's just trying to figure themselves out but the comparison pool has gotten much much larger and it's much more difficult every parent i know it well it all you know Especially, like I think of the parents of kids in our youth group. These are great parents. Every one of them is, is trying to navigate technology. Like, when do I give my child a phone? What, what access do I give them? Because, because it's, it's fairly well documented now. That, that for, I mean, for, for women, uh, for young, young girls, uh, the, I mean, it, it's, it, social media has some... There's some pretty significant emotional challenges that come along with that because of that comparison. Because every woman on, uh, like, you know, influencer, like on YouTube, Instagram, even the good sites, they 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 look a certain way. And there's a and there's just there's a, there's a sense of comparison. It's a natural process, sense of comparison, and a sense of inadequacy, and it's really really difficult for guys. This is a porn portal. So just ladies, close your ears for a second, okay? Guys, do you remember being in seventh grade? Remember being eighth grade? All the normal stuff is all those hormones just, just flood your system and you've got questions about everything. Can you imagine what eighth grade you would do if you had access to a cell phone? And kids today, they're the same. They're the same. Now, now, that doesn't mean that every teenage boy is, is, is looking at porn. It does not mean that. But it just means that the struggle that we have, the struggle that, and, and women as well. I mean, it's a slightly different struggle, gender to gender, and I don't mean to overly stereotype. That, that's not fair. But these are, these, I'm speaking in generalities. But the struggle, the struggle is greater, is greater because of these things. The sense of inadequacy is greater because of these things. 
It is a very, very difficult time to be a teenager in America. And the only reason I bring that up and hit those, hit those illustrations hard is because, among other things, that should fill us with some empathy. And just go... I mean, every generation has its challenges and struggles. So I'm not saying one is harder than the other. But I'm saying that this is a distinctive challenge that the next generation faces. That your children face. That your grandchildren face. That your great-grandchildren, if they're in their teen years, that they face. And so you pray for them. You pray for them. And, and we look for wise counsel to try to, uh, about use of technology and how to do those things. And realizing that, that I mean, the, the toothpaste, it's already out of the tube. We're not going to be able to get it back in. This is not about, not about being anti-tech. But we need tremendous wisdom when it comes to technology. Now, that's the challenge in culture in general. One of them... Of course, there's others. And, and then with some of those same technology pieces <coughs> and the, uh, you know, the, the, the global awareness, the ability to communicate and communicate you know, across uh, any, any geographic boundary, that's also had other, other ramifications as well. We, we find ourselves in a more polarized country than we've ever been, or at least in recent history. Because we, we more easily gravitate into our individual tribes. And it's much easier across a screen to dehumanize the person from the other tribe. It's not even a look across the aisle, it's a look across the screen now. And that has also had an impact. So there's these cultural challenges that our kids are being raised in. Even as every single person goes through the same journey that you went through in your teen years. Identity, who am I? Belonging, who are my people? Who do I belong to and who do I belong with? And purpose, why am I here? And especially, well, until whether it's a teenager or anybody, has found an answer to those questions that are that's outside of themselves. Like until we learn, just like we just sang about, to find our identity in Christ and our belonging in Him. I'm part of His family, even if sometimes they're weird. And I'm here because He put me here and I've got a purpose in my life. Until we know those things, I mean, we're just, as, we're, we're just lost as a goose. I mean, it's bad, and we do crazy things. Just looking for answers. Everyone, everyone is just looking for answers. So you've got those challenges culturally around us, but there's also some challenges that we're seeing inside the church as well. And so here, here's at least what I've been learning so far, um, both in, in the, the books, in the national data, and in interviews. That on some level, what we are facing inside the church is not... Like, I'm coming into it expecting, expecting us to find a next-gen discipleship crisis. Like, let's, like, so what do we need to do? What, what, what's the answer? And what I'm coming to discover 
and I hope I'm wrong on this, it's not, we, it's not so much that we're facing a next generation discipleship crisis. We're facing a discipleship crisis. Period. Because what is so often the story for those who do not continue in their faith, those maybe were, they maybe had exposure to faith through youth group or young life, or they were raised in a Christian home. And, and more than ever, uh, or more than any time in recent history, they're, they're choosing to not continue their faith into practicing their faith into adulthood. There, there are some common trends and themes in there. Again, this is not to say this is what happened to your child or your grandchild. This is just some overall general trends. Um, so so there's, there's the challenge of anti-intellectualism of a church that says you have to choose between faith and science because the two are absolutely opposed to one another and there can be no conversation between the two. That's actually, one of my family members, that was his moment when he was in med school and, and somebody told him that. He said, okay, I'll choose science. So there's an anti-intellectualism in the church that has had a destructive, um, has been destructive messaging instead of recognizing that both have a place. And in fact, science needs faith just as much as faith needs science. The other thing, and this is actually, I believe, the larger thing, is, um, well, here's what I expected to see. Here's what I expected to see, and, and then here's what I've seen and actually heard. What I expected to see was people who were, who were really hurt by the big moral failings of the, of the modern church. Because let's face it, there's been quite a number of people in roles like mine, especially in larger churches, that have, that have really blown their lives up in the last 10 years. I mean, there's a long, unfortunately, a long list of megachurch pastors that we hear about and a bunch of you know, smaller church pastors that we don't hear about who who just do ridiculously stupid things. Um, now, having, having served in a, in a lead pastor role now for about 20 years, I also have some empathy for that because I understand sometimes as, as churches scale up the unbelievable amounts of pressure that if, if you are that, that, that point person, that, that lead communicator, unbelievable amounts of pressure that you feel. I think in some cases, these are just people trying to hit the eject button because they don't know how to keep living. Um, and I thought that was going to be the thing. I thought that was like, oh, that's why. Because And they'd start just naming name, and you could name the names. Um, but what I actually heard, and what the data seems to suggest, is it's not so much about the, the big public flame-outs, some, some megachurch leader does something ridiculously stupid. What it actually seems to be is this greater path of, like pattern of just, just general disillusionment. Of seeing people who, like, that, that, that those older Christians who don't really show a visible love for Jesus. Who, when push comes to shove, are actually more concerned about, about the decline of Christian America than they are about following Jesus who are more passionate about their political party than their faith. Now, please hear me carefully. 
please hear me carefully before you send me the nasty letters. Politics matters. I mean, we are making enormously important decisions as a country. Please be politically involved. But, but here's the thing that we must remember. If you are a Christ, let me see your eyes. Uh, I know I'm running close on time and I, I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not going to blow the clock, but you need to hear this. Please hear this, okay? If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a Christian first. So if you are a Christian who is a Republican, be a Christian Republican. If you are a Christian Independent, be a Christian Independent. If you are a, a Democrat, be a Christian Democrat. That our identity in Christ should shape how we engage. In fact, how we engage the issues of our time is even more important than what we engage. And that doesn't mean that these issues are unimportant. It just means that our tone of engagement matters more than, than, than I think we give it credit for. That if we act in, if we are engaging even in noble, just, important causes in non-Christ-like ways, that diminishes our witness. And the next generation is watching how we live matters. It matters. And we've got to be so careful that, that we don't get, to get into the end justifies the means mentality. Because what will happen in those cases is that we will, we will win the battle but literally lose the war. The reason why America is acting less Christian is because it is less Christian. And we can't vote our way out of that. The only thing we can do is to be a viable Christian witness. To let Christ be your primary identity and let that shape how you engage in these other things. We must engage in the difficult conversations of our time. There are, there are some really bad ideas out there, folks. Really, really bad ideas. But how we engage them matters. If you come into, the, into, into trying to face up against a bad idea, and I could give you examples, but I'm sure you can think of plenty of them. As we come in there with, you know, with a club in hand and just trying to vilify the person, and instead of seeing the person who is advocating for this ridiculously bad idea as someone who is also, and nonetheless, someone who is made in the image and likeness of God, someone who Jesus loved them enough to die for them, and so even if they are ridiculously wrong, even if they are absolutely wrong, I can't come up with a better word. Drat, pray for me, okay? How we treat them 
It matters because the next generation is watching. Imagine if in, in your life you were to have a GoPro on your shoulder that would follow you around every day. It would see what you see. It would hear what you hear. Every conversation was recorded. And imagine your children were watching that video. Would they say after they're watching that video, wow, my mom really loves Jesus. My dad really loves Jesus. Because on some level, that's exactly what's happening. So that's the bad news. We have a discipleship crisis in the church. And it is affecting the next generation. A next generation that is experiencing some, some unprecedented cultural challenges because of the advance of technology and all of the ramifications that have come along with that. That's the bad news. You're probably, I hope you are, so wondering, so what do we do? What do we do? So um, here, here's, here's some, some thoughts that I hope become smarter thoughts over the next three years as I just continue to study and, and, and if you allow me to stick around as pastor, we're going to be trying to figure some of this stuff out together because I, I continue to be just passionate about next generation ministry. We are a multi-generational church. We are a church that's going to pass down a robust, vibrant faith to the next generation because my grandchildren are going to, I want them to be exposed to an authentic witness of a Christian faith. Okay? So we're going to be intentional about building, building relationships between generations. Here's what that... Well, so here, what that looks like on some level, and again, I'm hoping these thoughts get, get smarter over the next three years and get better. Um, this actually... Could, could you put up that picture again that, the, from 23 years ago when I, I actually looked like a young person? Okay. Now, one of the things that, that this picture reminds me of is that... I, because I, I can name most of the teens and all of the young adults that were serving in youth ministry, I can name them there. One of the things that I, I noticed back then, because so for many years I've been involved in, in kind of like most churches, what we sort of think of as a young life, um, young life model. So youth ministry, you, you do some big parties, you have to do some really fun stuff, and then you do a devotional. And you talk about Jesus, and, and, you, and you know, and you, but you also do go big goofy games and and that's good. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with, with that model. It's not a bad one. It's just increasingly become an, an inadequate model. It is not enough. As I look at the, the picture, there, there's a group within that, that photo that by, by and large have actually had a thriving and robust faith over the years. And I know that because they, they were the ones that were in our kind of our leadership, youth leadership models. You know, they were the ones that we were teaching them how to lead Bible studies and teaching them how to lead worship. And they were given responsibility for things. And some of them, I mean, Ian went on to be a missionary in Alaska. Uh, Kristen, she's an elder at a church. Jackie 
Yeah, I mean, she now speaks six languages and, you know, has yeah, served in missions in Romania and China. And it, some people have gone on to do some pretty cool things. A couple of them are pastors. Um, when, you, when we invest, when we do deep discipleship in the next generation, great things happen. Great things happen. And... And we're, we're seeing in, in the models of, of the success models now, um, like uh, work pretty closely with Cascades Camp and the way that they're doing high school ministry there where it's, by the time you get to high school, it's not so much about the big party and, and, and then here's a Bible study on top of the big party. Not that that's a bad thing. Still, it's still good to do fun, goofy things. Kids totally need to let off steam. I am not anti-fun, okay? Um, but, but by the time you get to high school in those environments, they're, they're being given responsibility. They're starting to, they're, they're, whether it's cleaning dishes and setting stuff up or leading games, they're starting to learn how to do things. And finding that kids who engage on that level, they're given actual responsibility. They're fully involved. That they end up having a much more robust faith because they were, they were actually given some people believed in them on a deeper level. And, and so there's part of me that thinks, thinks, what would it be like if we integrated some of those models into the local church? You know, where intentional mentoring, especially on a high school level, was just built in. Where, where we, we were much more intentional, even though we, I think we have been intentional about having teens and serving in all these different roles and giving them real responsibility to do real things. So looking at some of the models, like what would it, what would it be like to have deeper integration of that? And the ways that you can help, just as a general part of the congregation, because this isn't something that maybe everyone is deeply involved in, but here's things, things that you can do even today to help. When you see someone under the age of 30, get to know their name. Like if, if this is your church and you've got some friends here and you're like, ah, you're kind of settled, like you're not, you're not a new person, like this is your church. Care. Especially care about the next generation. Get to know their names. Ask them how they're doing. Listen to their story. That's a practical thing that you can do. Just care. Care about the next generation. And here's the number one most important thing. This is why I wanted to give it to you in the, as you're heading into a new year and we're all kind of thinking about like, so how do I want to live in 2024? What really matters in 2024? Okay, let me see your eyes. I'm, I promise I'm almost done. I know I'm a little long-winded because I'm super passionate about this. Here's the, here's the thing. Fall in love with Jesus. Like, let your devotion to Christ lead and guide your life. So, for, like, maybe, maybe that means tomorrow you start a Bible in a year plan. We've even got a connection group just for that, if you want to do that. If you've never read the Bible, like actually read the Bible, read the Bible. Give it a try. It's a pretty amazing book. There's some weird parts, but it's amazing and it will change your life. That your kids 
your kids, your grandkids, the, the, the most powerful message you can send to them about the faith is that you believe it. That Jesus matters to you. So pursue him in the word. Pursue him in prayer. Talk about your faith. Talk about it. The next generation is watching and they need to see that it's real because they live in a really hard world. And Christianity is not just another special interest group. If we are just another group that's whining about our own rights and our own freedoms and wishing we had more privileges, we are like everybody else. Big freaking deal. And that's what the next generation is saying far too often. But we have something. Christianity has something that, that no, nothing else has. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. We have a living Savior who lives in our midst, who gives us peace regardless of the situations around us, who gives us hope regardless of what's happening in the world around us, who meets us every single day if, if, we, are, if we will just still our hearts and, and open our hearts towards him. Let your faith be your witness. Like this love like Jesus. Like if we do that, if we actually do that, it will impact the next generation. And as we do that, it will also impact the world. You want to change the world? Just like start at your dining room table. Start there. And fall in love with Jesus. As Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he writes this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray, and this, this is my prayer for you, this is my prayer for me. This is my prayer for us today. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he might strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout, say that with me, all generations.
forever and ever. Amen. So we close, I want to ask you to do something with me. Would you, if you're able, would you stand? If you're not, just you can do this sitting down, it's okay. But sometimes it's helpful just because it focuses our minds a little bit, just to stand, okay? I want you to think about someone who is younger than you, that you really care about. So maybe that's a child. Maybe that's a grandchild. Maybe that's a niece, a nephew. Somebody who is younger than you. And I'd like you to take a moment just to pray for them. And pray that your life would be a blessing to them. Imagine, if you need to, if it's helpful, imagine seventh grade you and what it felt like to be in seventh grade. And imagine what it might like, be like for them to be in that same spot, if that's how old they are. Imagine that. And I'd like you to take a moment to pray for them. Can we put the prayer up on the screen? Lord, help me to be a blessing to all who come after me. Lord, help me be a blessing to all who come after me. You might not even be born yet. But Lord, help me be a blessing to all who come after me. I'm just going to give you a, a 30 seconds, a minute, and just stand in silence for a moment together and just allow those faces and those names to come to mind. And pray for the next generation. Pray for the next generation.